in the rain. So amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn over to the book of Titus. And as we have been reminded week after week about what a good church is, a good church is a church that will have good leaders. A good church is a church that will have good teaching. And a good church is a church that will be involved in good works. We see these things in the book of Titus. Chapter 1 focuses on good leaders. Chapter 2, good teaching. Chapter 3, good works. And I'm so thankful that as we have been talking about leadership, which is really servant leadership in the church, that we were able to be encouraged by the men in our church who are leaders, who spoke of the calling that God is putting on their lives to serve him in the marketplace, to serve him in their homes. Thank God for that. Then we have heard from women in our church who spoke of what it means to be a leader in the marketplace, leader in the home. And today to be reminded of as each student helped lead worship and as each student got up and shared testimony, we were reminded that the future of Strong Tower and hopefully this nation is in good hands when we look at the leadership resident within our young people. And so thank God for this church where you see leadership uh, in every place. And it's kind of a breakdown that we'll see beginning next week in chapter 2 of Titus when Titus talks about the older men and the older women and the younger men and the younger women because the church is a family and in this family we are asking God to raise up good leaders from the men the women from the young people even from our children but as he narrowed things down and got very specific in chapter one he talked about the need for Titus to appoint elders a specific kind of leader all of us are leaders but some of us are called to lead the church. We all lead in some regard, some respect, but some of us are called to lead the local church, and those are the elders or the pastors or the bishops, depending upon one's ecclesiology and where they come from culturally. And so when he talked about appointing elders, we've been saying that the foremost quality of an elder is his character to have integrity, which is to have integrity is to be intentional. And the word that is used in the New Testament and over in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1 is this word blameless. It does not mean sinless because no man is sinless. But what it does, it talks about that a man who leads the church is to have a life that can resist and withstand charges charges against his character because if a minister loses his integrity he's really lost his ministry so there's a high regard there is great protection around the character of the elders the pastors and the bishops so we are to be blameless and so we've been talking about that and in this final message this morning we're going to look at the areas that we see in Titus chapter 1 that Paul tells Titus to look for when it comes to appointing elders in the churches throughout the island of Crete. Now, the Bible does not say that an elder must be a good preacher, even though that helps. 
But that is not what the Bible says, that an elder has to be a good preacher. The Bible does not say that an elder must be a successful businessman. Now that helps, but that's not the key qualification. The Bible does not say that an elder must be a seminarian. And that's good if a man has gone to seminary, whether he is a vocational leader or he makes his uh, living out in the world, he's gone to seminary. That's good, but that's not necessary. Uh, The Bible does not say that an elder must be good looking. Now, that's always good when you have it, but that's not necessary for a person. The Bible says that he must be blameless. Blameless. Speaking of his lifestyle. The way in which he conducts himself. And so in Titus chapter 1, there are six areas that I have taken from the text in terms of the the elder being blameless and where it shows up, how this shows up in his life. Because blameless is the foremost quality that this elder is supposed to have. That's what qualifies him. And out of that comes this person being blameless in his marriage blameless in his parenting, blameless in his attitude, blameless in his actions, blameless in his doctrine, blameless in his ministry. And so everything comes back to the character of this person because these are the kind of people we want leading us because we don't want to lower the standard of godliness, the standard of holiness, the standard of excellence in the church by having unqualified sloppy leaders in place. So we want to respect this office and what the Bible calls for. But as I share this message, I also want to let you know that this is a reminder for those of us who are currently serving as elders right now. So I'm going to ask every elder along with his wife to just stand wherever you are. Every elder and his wife to just stand. Thank you, Tyler and Teresa. Just stand where you are. Clifton, Alfreda, Lena and Gary. Daryl and Stephanie, and then John and Harmony are gone. Thank you. You may be seated. So this is a reminder for all of us as we're going over these. We're rehearsing what the scriptures say, and we're reminded of the grace we need in Jesus to um, reach these uh, places, to live this way. Again, no one is perfect, but we're aiming to to have integrity. You are intentional, so you're aiming. You're not aimless. We, We are specific and, and how we live for God. But we don't do it for the people. We're living for the Lord because we love the Lord. And above all, he loves us. And out of that comes these things that just show up in our lives. In our marriage, in our ministry, and on and on. But this is also a reference, as I'll be sharing this finally today, <clears throat> for men in the body who may feel a tug in their heart, a desire towards this office. Because these men, nor I, can serve forever. We're not supposed to. We're supposed to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. We're to be leaders who make more leaders. And so guys rotate off and other guys have to rotate on. And so, um, so you may listen to these things and the, and the Lord may stir you as he once stirred these men who stood. And I, I can guarantee you each person who stood never felt worthy to lead in the position that they're leading. And they still don't. Um, But that old saying is true. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies everyone whom he calls. The call from God is the most important thing. And and, and the character reflects the fact that you've been called. And then this message, this final message in chapter 1, 
is worthy of reflection for all of us because pastors are not to be the only ones in the body to live blameless or above reproach or to live a life free of charges. And even if charges come, they will prove to be false because of how you choose to live your life. So, you know, I grew up in, in a Baptist church where holiness was just for the preacher. And, you know, you couldn't curse on church property, but you can curse everywhere else. And so there was something holy about the church and the man of God. And no one could ascribe to that place. But a true reading of the scripture says that all of us are called to live blameless. How much more our leaders, how much more our leaders. We are to be spiritually mature because we have babes in Christ and people um, across the continuum as far as spiritual development. But we should all strive to be like Christ. First John 2, 6, to walk even as he walked, all of us. But how much more those of us who lead the body. So let's read Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. And Paul wrote to Titus and he said, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking, and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. Now stop and pause. We said that this was a countermeasure because the enemy was already working on the island because there were some bad teachers who were taking advantage of the people. And so now was time to put some good leaders in place to combat the bad leaders who were already infiltrating the church on the island. So the body of Christ was on the island, but it needed structure and order, organization. It needed leaders. And so Paul said, now let's go ahead and do this. Verse 6, if a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. Let's pray. Father God, would you help me communicate? Would you help us to learn, understand, and apply the things that we see in the word? Thank you for leaving us a record of what you require for your church And help us not to get it twisted, Lord. We may work in the church. We may serve the church. But this church is not ours. It's yours. As a matter of fact, as we sing, you paid for the church. You paid for us with your blood. So help us, Lord, to do the things that you require of us. To do the things that bring honor to your name. So help us to understand what the church is about. You are the head. We are your body. And we thank you for this privilege as well as this awesome responsibility. For we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, he's to be blameless in his marriage. And by way of quick review from last week, we looked at verse 6 where it says, If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife. So we talked about how the husband of one wife means that the pastor, the elder, the bishop, whether that person is on staff or a lay person, is to be a one-woman man. If that man is married, he's to be a one woman man, not a flirt, not an adulterer, not a bigamist, not a polygamist, doesn't have a mistress or any of that kind of stuff. Ephesians 5, he doesn't even have these kinds of things named among him. So again, above reproach. uh, And we know that many people have prayed on 
women and children and gentlemen in churches using their power in the pulpit to abuse people and that can be detrimental not only to people's souls and their psyche but it is also detrimental to the name and regard of Jesus Christ so that's why we don't want to lay hands on anyone suddenly we want to examine people because we want to take our time because the Bible says in first Timothy the sins of some men are obvious the sins of other men trail behind. So don't be quick to put somebody in position if you don't know what kind of lifestyle they live because it's a domino effect. So we have to be very, very careful. So the husband of one wife, his marriage must be healthy. And if it's not healthy, we talked last week about he may need to sit himself down or the collective body of elders may need to sit him down. And I have had men over the years who recognized that things were just going out of whack in their marriage. And God never called them to lose their marriage to do ministry. So they stepped down from ministry to focus on their marriage. And I've never had more respect for those guys than when they did that. Uh, Then we asked, can an elder be single? Yes, an elder can be single. Ideally, it works if he is married. But an elder can be single because Paul was single. John the Apostle was probably single. He calls himself in 2 John and 3 John the elder. And so, yes, an elder can be single. And we have had single elders over the years. Can an elder serve who has been divorced? And the answer is yes. And, of course, it always depends on what the divorce was about, what it was over. Um, because divorce is not the unpardonable sin. Uh, doesn't mean you, you, you cannot come back and offer encouragement to the body of Christ having been divorced. But we do have a responsibility to look into the divorce, to find out what the divorce was over and all of that, because there are just causes for divorce in the Bible. And so, uh, yes. And then uh, the one we didn't get a chance to cover last week, can an elder be a woman? Now, when you talk about this, there are good people on both sides. There are great men and women, great churches, some who believe that women can be pastors, elders, and bishops, and then there are others who don't believe that women can be pastors, elders, and bishops. But what you need to know from me and for Strong Tower Bible Church is that this is a non-essential issue. Some people make it an essential issue, and they'll break fellowship over it. But for me and for this church, it's not an essential issue. Now, we have a perspective, and we have recognized that there are differing perspectives. But this is not on the level of, do you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the one who paid for our sins? Now, those kind of things we'll divide over if we have differences of view. But on these kinds of things, this is a secondary issue. But for some people, it's a primary issue. And when you talk about these kinds of matters, again, in a diverse church, um, you have people from various backgrounds. And some of us have mothers who are pastors or still are pastors and mothers who are evangelists. So you want to be careful how you tread in this um, area. But you also want to let it be known that we can all be one without being the same. You know, we're not going to see eye to eye on everything. That being said, Uh, For me, I look at first creation. I look at creation. When God created Adam and Eve, he created them male and female. And he told them to have dominion. Am I right? He told them to have dominion. And and, and, and here's where Strong Tower, let let me say that for a minute. He, He gave them dominion. And so for some people, they see that as a husband and wife can pastor together. Uh, and, and there are people who have called my wife first lady. They've also called her pastor, whatever, you know, just, just watch what you call her. But, but you know, 
we're not hung up on that. My wife ministers, other wives minister. That, that's not, you know, Christy is an ordained minister at our church. So, you know, we understand that Adam and Eve, and Eve by herself, if she's single, can minister with authority and all of that. But I then go to creative order. There's creation, and then there's creative order. And in creative order, although God in his mind said Adam and Eve are to rule together, he specifically in time and space brought forth Adam first. And he did that to establish order in the home because the husband is to be the head of the wife. There are not to be two heads in your house because anything that has two heads is freakish. And so, so he's to be the head. And when we look at Jesus who is the head of the church, he's to love his wife the way Christ loves us. Not as a dictator, but as a servant. And so, creative order. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, it talks about what qualifies a man to lead in the church house is how he leads in his domestic house. Um, But we also know that there are many homes where men are either passive or men are absent. And one thing I've learned about godly ladies is that they will lead if there is no leader present. And so how do you work with that? And there are many women who lead churches where there is no man present. Um, And so, again, it's not my place to uh, scrutinize ministries and all that. Um, I'm not the judge. I have an opinion. Um, And so what I always say is, no, I don't believe in women being elders. My sister in Baltimore is an elder at her church. We don't talk about that at Christmas and Thanksgiving when we get together. It's just a secondary issue. Um, but here's where we've messed up at Strong Tower. As much as we believe that men should lead at home by serving, men should lead at the church by serving, we've messed up in the church because we have not afforded ourselves enough opportunities to get wisdom and direction from our women when we meet. So if you have a room of guys and we're meeting, we don't see the whole perspective. And many times it's good to have women to bring perspective. And so very few times have I polled women, the the wives of our elders and pastors in the church for direction. And that's where we have failed. So although we don't make women elders or ordain them, doesn't mean that may not change later. Who knows? God may show me something different in scripture. Uh, But we have to do more. We have to do better to get a holistic understanding for the leadership and the direction of Strong Tower Bible Church. And that includes listening to our ladies more than we do. Because any man who leads his home, yeah, you may be the head, but she's the crown that sits on the head, according to Proverbs, and the neck that turns the head and supports it. You be a fool not to listen to your wife. So how do we incorporate more of that into the church? That's our challenge. So I hope that was helpful to you. But this guy has to have a strong marriage. Then he has to be blameless in his parenting. Titus 1.6 says, If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. So once again, it's saying, what does his home look like? Because if his home doesn't look like the kingdom, then how can he lead in the church? Again, that is your resume. That is uh, what qualifies you to lead publicly, and that is how you lead privately. And since our children are like sponges, it shows what happens at home and not just publicly in a pulpit. Our children learn from us, and, and, and more is caught than taught. 
And so they watch us. And so what they're saying is, is the guy pulling it off at home with his wife and with his children? Now, when it says that the children are to be faithful, faithful children, that means the children should be believers. They should be full of faith. They should be full of the Lord. They should know the Lord. Um, They should also not be accused of dissipation, which means an elder's children should not be descending into aimlessness or living a squandered life. Because a pastor should make sure his children are aimed in the right direction. The Bible says they're like arrows in the Psalms. Your children are like arrows in a quiver. And so you want to make sure your children are being aimed well. You're to raise them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. But if you're too busy in a prostitution-style relationship with the church, that you're not, you don't have enough time or energy with your own children, you've gotten things out of whack. Now, an elder can't make his children love Jesus. And so there are times when a child is trying to find his or her way, and they may go through a season or stage of rebellion. Does that necessarily incriminate the elder and make that elder disqualified? Not necessarily, um, because you had a good father in the prodigal son story. At least from what we can tell, he was a good father, but the son made a decision on his own to go out and do whatever he wanted to do. And thanks be to God, he, he at least acknowledged, I'm out here living in sin, but I know I can go back home to my father. So there are children sometimes, and, and we did it, where we didn't always sit on our P's and Q's and all that. And what's tough for pastor's kids and elder's kids, sometimes they live in a fishbowl, and people may require a kind of perfection out of them that they expect even in the pastor. And we we try to let people know, when you join this church, we're going to let you down. We're not perfect, but we do say follow us as we follow Christ. You may catch me yelling at my kid in Kroger running down the aisle, hey, put that cereal down, you know, because you do the same thing with yours. Can I get an amen? (laughs) So we're human, and our kids are human. Our kids fall and fail. And, um, and so when it says that they should not be accused of ins- dissipation or insubordination, that means having defiant, uh, defiant of authority, that they, they're disrespectful to mom, dad, and any other authority figure. And so that means, again, not enough time was spent with the children at home teaching them. And I always tell my children, you want me to teach you and not the police officer or the jail warden. You, you want me to teach you. You know, and I'm not expecting the church people to be your primary Bible teacher. I'm not expecting somebody, aunt or auntie, your grandmother to be the primary one who raised you. I'm here. Your mother is here. And you can't go nowhere. You, 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 with us, you stuck with us in Jesus' name. <laughs> Amen. And I've learned, man, when the devil can't get to the pastor or the elder, he'll try to get to the pastor's wife. If he can't get to the pastor or the pastor's wife, he will definitely try to come after the pastor's kids. That's why you have to pray for your leaders. You have to pray for your leaders' marriages and your leaders' children. It's not easy doing this. It's not easy being married to someone who does this. And it's not easy being the children of someone who does this. My children probably want to say amen right now. But I thank God that we have lived in such a way where we don't tell our kids they have to behave a certain way for the church people. We, we don't really concern ourselves with the church people. Again, we know you're watching, but it's not you that we answer to. So we try to make sure that our home is driven by the gospel, driven by the love of Jesus. We work things out when things get out of whack. We're a family just like yours. Um, but hopefully, 
You can look at our maturity as married folks, maturity as parents, and say, how did y'all work through that when Dante did this? How did y'all work through that when Krista or when your marriage? And so as leaders, we're teaching. Ah, that's good stuff, man. And then he has to be blameless in his attitude. Titus 1, 7. It says, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, and on and on. So in his attitude, this person cannot be self-willed. As we prayed, it's not our church, it's God's church. And so an elder, although we may have influence, we can't be self-willed because it's not my will be done. It's his will be done. And we must pray and submit to what the Lord wants and not what we want. And sometimes the pressure comes when you want things as a congregation that God doesn't want for the church because he may have downloaded some things into the leaders. And then you start acting like children when we tell you we're not going to do that or go there. And then you throw a tantrum and many of you do what can't be done in my house and that's leave, but you'll leave. Because you don't like how God's leading the leaders. I've learned that it's easier to criticize a leader than it is to be one. And until you've been one, you know, again, trying to lead in your own house is tough enough. Yet alone trying to lead the house of God. And so his attitude, man, it can't be about us. So that means we can't be man pleasers. So we have to be people who are not self-willed. We have to be team players. We can't push personal agendas, and we cannot treat anyone in a bullyish kind of fact. We can't bully people. And I know pastors who bully people. Um, what we must do instead is we must lead in collaboration and not in dictation. So we listen to God. We listen to one another. We listen to the people. It's a collaborative effort. But just like when Adam and Eve, things went down in the home. She did some things that weren't supposed to be done. He did some things that weren't supposed to be done. And when God showed up, he said, Adam, where are you? So he came to the leader that he put in place before he came to his wife. He didn't say Adam and Eve. He said Adam. And when it comes time for the church, the Bible says in the book of Revelation that uh, Jesus addressed the angel of the church or the leader of the church. And so we are under stricter judgment, James 3, 1, before God and you. And so if you don't want that, then you are not ready to be an elder or a pastor. It's not a job for the weak. It is not a job for the weak. He uses weak and broken men, but we find our strength in the Lord. But you cannot be self-willed. It's not about you. You can't be quick-tempered. This person doesn't get mad quickly or he's not easily angered. He doesn't fly off the handle. Or suddenly explode. Uh, sometimes, oh Lord, uh, this one is not one of my strengths. Because <laughs> I can get mad in a New York minute. You know, uh, Woo, Lord, have mercy. He is a lover of what is good. That means he is a positive person. He sees the good in people. He sees good opportunities. He, he loves good books and good art, good conversation, good music. All that. He's a lover of good. It's a positive person. The glass is half full. Doesn't always see the negative stuff. You know, it's always empty, always bad, always raining, always gray. This is a person who loves what is good. They're upbeat. They're positive. They're leaders. Then they're sober-minded. This means that this person is wise, prudent, rational, thoughtful, calm, and even humble. 
sober-minded. They understand who they are in light of who God is. They know what their identity is in Christ. So they're very sober-minded. They recognize that they are the righteousness of God in Christ, but they also recognize their wretchedness as well because they're still human. So they're humble people, sober-minded. And then this person is blameless in his actions. Titus 1, 7 and 8 gets more into not being violent, not greedy for money, being hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled. So now his actions, not given to wine. Again, depending upon where you come from, people skip right over this passage or they misinterpret this passage on purpose because of a particular denominational slant. You know, who, people who don't believe in drinking at all for Christians and they pervert a lot of scriptures to make that come to pass. They're not being objective when they really look at the Bible. Not giving the wine means that this man is not a drunkard. Doesn't mean that he cannot drink. But it means that he will not get drunk when he drinks. Ephesians 5.18 talks about not getting drunk. Uh, so that, 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 that should be easy. And once again, th- this hurts a lot of people. For Jesus to turn water into wine, hmm, that was not grape juice. And for Jesus to be accused of being a wine bibber, that means you have to not only hang around people who drink wine, but you have to drink wine. And, and let's think about that culture. But I know we come along and we talk about how the wine was diluted and all that kind of stuff. Oh, boy. Now, although an elder can drink, that doesn't mean we should drink. Romans talks about not using our liberty to cause other people to stumble. And so there are times as a leader, you forego your liberty because of your position, because you have weaker brothers amongst you. So, uh, you know, I don't drink beer but I'm not against beer. The uh, party I was at yesterday, the rehearsal party, um, they had beer and everything. I was like, man, maybe I should pour one up real quick, you know. <laughs> I drink wine. My kids know we'll drink wine, special occasions. And uh, I tell you, man, when I see those Corona commercials, I don't even know what Corona tastes like, but it looks good. Oh, the kids are in here. Keep going, past. But that's what you're supposed to teach your kids about. <laughs> it's about not getting drunk, man. Not abusing alcohol. Because when you do that, you make bad decisions. Um, not violent. Kind of talked about not being quick-tempered. But now in action, not being violent. This means basically you won't lay your hands on people the wrong way. Lord have mercy. Because there have been times... I have wanted to lay my hands on people, but I have refrained because as a Christian, you're to be meek, which means you have power, but it's under control. And every now and then people will play you like you're weak. But I'm like, don't get it twisted, partner. I'm not weak. I'm meek. And I'm from Baltimore. You saw that ride and we'll tear something up in a minute. So don't play a brother. And that's one of the reasons we got the security team to keep me from losing my testimony. I'm telling you. To keep me when people roll up on me and it has happened. And I'm not always full of the Holy Ghost. I spring a leak and I'm ready to, hey. And and, and let me tell you now, Moses lost his temper, struck a rock rather than striking the people. That cost him the promised land. Nehemiah got so upset with the people that he ripped their beards out. So I've got biblical reasons to 
hurt some of y'all. But these days, when I get disrespected, I have to pray, and I have to sing, and I have to ask for prayer. And one of the songs I'm holding on to right now um, is a commission song. And the song is Victory. And the song says, talked about, lied on, and criticized. Many tears fell from my eyes. I wondered how much could one man take. I wanted to retaliate. But God said, hold your peace. Vengeance is mine. Enemies will bow down. In due time, hold your peace. I'll fight your battles. The victory, victory shall be mine. Doom, doom, doom. Elder has to be hospitable. That means they're kind to people. They'll open up their home, even to strangers. They're to be just. That means they do what is right. Um, They don't show favoritism. If you come to them for marriage counseling, they're not on anybody's side except the Lord's side and the side of truth. And usually what happens is that someone who doesn't like what the pastor is saying thinks the pastor is siding with one of the spouses. But no, we're not here to take anybody's side. We're here to speak the truth to both of you because both of you got mess on your hands. Mm. Pastor's supposed to be holy. It means set apart, consecrated, godly. Lives life by a standard, which is the word of God. Which means we believe in a holy God who gave us a holy word. As opposed to this age of relativism that doesn't believe in God or believe in moral absolutes. But we believe and it shows up in how we live. Self-control. That means we have self-discipline as a way of life. We're disciples. Uh, You can't spell the word discipline without disciple. And so we're students of the Lord. And he calls us to have discipline over how we live. So we're not to be lazy men. We're not to be gluttonous men. We're not to be lustful men. And on and on and on. And then I think I skipped the one about greedy for money. We're not to be greedy for money. Um, And so many people get into the pastorate to get rich, to use people, and all that kind of stuff. But again, the test of a man's spirituality is that he sees money as a tool, and it's not something to make him into a fool. That he's not going to be a Judas who was on the leadership team, and the other leaders didn't even know that he was stealing money and that he was willing to sell Jesus out for money because the love of money is the root to all kinds of evil. So the pastor, the elder, the bishop can have a love for money, has to understand money. And if some of us, God's gifted with wealth. Some of us, he hasn't gifted with wealth. But either way, money is what it is. And we don't treat people different who have money. And we don't treat people different who don't have money. We treat people justly the same. In his doctrine, I'm coming to an end, Titus 1.9 says that he must hold fast the faithful word as he has been taught. And that's the thing. You can't be a leader until you've first been a follower. You can't be a teacher until you've first been a student. And being a student never ends. We're learning until Jesus takes us. So therefore, we should be open to instruction from good godly counsel, as my nephew said. So we're always in a place of leading, not to a place of thinking we've arrived and we know everything. But it says here 
that the leader must hold fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. And there were people in Crete who were contradicting. And so the elders had to rise up and convince them or have good arguments with them concerning what the essential issues of the faith happen to be. And so as an elder, you have to have your doctrine straight. So you've got to hold on to the word as you've been taught. You don't drift from foundational doctrines and start picking up this newest and latest stuff that plagues every era of Christendom. Mainly works-based righteousness and anything that will call attention away from exclusivity in Jesus. Anything that puts focus on man or performance, you can't pick up. You can't pick up universalism, which says, you know, God is going to save everybody. So what you've done now, you've lessened the payment of Jesus on the cross for the sins of the world. So you can't pick up, you can't start saying, well, homosexual marriage is acceptable because of the culture and the age in which we live in. And the Bible is not literal on those things. It is figurative. And so, no, 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 no. A lot of pastors, the stuff they pick up now, they would have never passed their ordination examination if they held on to those things then that they hold on to now. But you get guys who drift from what they were, were, what got them ordained in the first place, and they become susceptible, and they start following the commandments of men and the philosophies in this world. And to me, they become disqualified because of uh, a gangrene doctrine. But nobody's going to call them out. And then they have to have this sound doctrine, which is balanced, healthy, the whole council, and not just the parts you want that prove what you believe. So you have to be not, not only the New Testament, but the Old Testament. And then finally, in his ministry, he has to be able to exhort, which means to confront. Mm. And to confront in love. To confront people the way you would want them to confront you. So it's not just going head hunting. No, you're going after the heart. And you're, you're trying to love people well with the truth. But that doesn't always mean they're going to receive it. And so you can't take it personal when they don't receive it. Neither can you get prideful when they do. Because it's not about you. You're just a minister. And then he's able to convict those who contradict. And I alluded to it earlier. He is able to reason with sound arguments. Biblical arguments. When people are contradicting the word. He has a good grasp of the word. Where he's able to reason with them. To help bring conviction into their contradictions. Now, over the years at Strong Tower, we've met all kinds of people. And we'll meet even more, especially as we continue to move towards the return of Christ. Uh, there'll be many false Christs, false gospels, false teachings. It's not going anywhere. And that's why we have to take time in church to teach these things so that people can know where this church stands. Elder Clifton even said in our elders meeting this Thursday... I have to do more teaching even on a Wednesday night as far as just the basic rudimentary principles of the gospel. That the shepherd of this particular church needs to do more teaching on a regular basis and not just Sunday. But I wonder if I did more teaching on Wednesday, how many of the sheep would come on Wednesday? Because some of y'all are SOS Sunday only saints. But if we can get y'all. But we know how to get y'all. We're going to have some food and the word. Some physical food and spiritual food. Some soul food. Let somebody say amen. I'm coming to a close. So over the years, 
We've had people tell us there's no other version to use but the King James Version. If it was good enough for Moses, it ought to be good enough for you. Don't come in here with that NIV, that New King James, and, and they got one eye closed like this too, and they tell you, don't you? So we've had people with those kinds of extremes, and you got to know how to lovingly convince them to tell them that, no, there are other good, solid versions of the Bible, not just the King James. That We've talked with people over the years as elders who don't believe in baptism in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're coming in telling us we had got to baptize people in Jesus' name or else. And so you got to have conversation with people. And then you got to recognize that everybody's not there to listen. They're just there to argue. They're not there to learn. And you cannot change a Pharisee. You could pray for a Pharisee, plant a seed for a Pharisee, and then let Jesus meet that Pharisee at night sometime. You, you just can't. But we've had those people. No baptism in the name of the Trinity. No tongues for anyone. We've had those people. And then others, no, tongues are for everyone. We've had those. We've had no tithing today. No, tithing is for today. No women in the pulpit. No music in your church. No dancing in your church. No rap. No shorts. No sneakers. No politics. No race. We're the human race. When you talk about that race, you're being divisive. We are the human race. Man, that stuff sounds good, but it ain't real. Get out of here with that stuff. They come in here telling me, no alcohol. Church doesn't need a building. No debt for the church. There is no grounds for divorce whatsoever. And they come in there telling us all this stuff. And no rapture. Pastor, you're preaching the rapture. There's no rapture. Hmm. Then we get some people who want to come in and say there's no sin you don't sin and i'm like you're sinning when you're saying this to me right now (laughs) and usually these people who have these agendas they also don't have grace they don't have love and they really don't have the truth they have their slants and their biases and so a pastor an elder is to have grace and balance jesus was full of grace and truth And so as as leaders, that's how we have to navigate. Well, above all else, y'all, an elder, pastor, bishop must be blameless. Everything that he does flows out of everything that he is. He is blameless in his marriage, in his parenting, in his attitude, in his actions, in his doctrine, and in his ministry. And when you have people like that, you have a healthy church and I'm thankful over the years to have led with great men men we sharpen each other like iron we encourage one another I have errands and hers who hold up my arms when I get tired and I'm down on my feet on my knees washing their feet to cover them that's what we do and we hope that it can mushroom out to the body because the church will not go past where the leadership is And so as we're being stretched and pulled, ah, man, God is many times causing a death to happen in our lives so that life can happen in you. We're teaching you how to die well in Christ so that you can experience a resurrection. We don't set ourselves up on a pedestal to make you think that we're pristine and that we're perfect. No, we're people who walk with God and love Jesus and we take it seriously. Oh, yeah. Now, last thing, and then Daryl and Elder Tyler are coming. 
He says that a bishop is a steward of God. He says that in verse 7. He said, as a steward of God. What's a steward? A steward is a manager. A steward is not an owner. So he's reminding every bishop, every pastor, every elder that you don't own the church. You serve the church. You manage the church's people and resources. You work here because he called you here. It's not your responsibility to take care of the church. As you take care of as an under-shepherd, the over-shepherd owns this thing. I love you, but I haven't shed any blood for any of you. And if I did, it wouldn't be blood that could redeem you. Jesus did. It's his church, and he wants every pastor to be humble. And he wants the congregation to not exalt a pastor and elder up to the place where Christ is. Christ is the absolute leader of the church, not the pastor. You are a steward. I am a steward I don't own anything up in here. Matter of fact, I don't even own my life. I've been bought with a price. So the more we can live, as the young lady said, giving our lives away, not holding life tightly, not holding church, Jesus is, he'll come through here and just do stuff that'll blow our mind. Father, thank you. And I do pray for men who may want to aspire to this. Lead us to those brothers. Help us to talk with them. Help us to make our leadership team more full, more complete. Thank you, Lord, for laying this out for us in the book of Titus. And if you allow, help us to jump next week into chapter 2 to talk about good teaching. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. All right, brothers. It's a good word, Pastor. Amen. That's great. You're so...